Hello and welcome to the BitBlock Boom podcast. I'm your host, Gary Leland, producer of the BitBlock Boom Bitcoin Conference. And just for reference, I also produce the 4-Minute Bitcoin Podcast, available everywhere podcasts are available. Now, every August, I host the BitBlock Boom Bitcoin Conference in Dallas, Texas, with the help of many of my friends. If you are interested in Bitcoin, you really need to visit BitBlockBoom.com. And take a look at the great speaker lineup and all the events that are going on around BitBlockBoom. You see, BitBlockBoom is a true Bitcoin conference, and I really mean a true Bitcoin conference. On this episode, I'm featuring a session by Jimmy Song from the 2020 BitBlockBoom conference. Let's take a listen. BitBlockBoom! societal case for Bitcoin. What we haven't done is given a moral case for Bitcoin. And I, I think this is a very important part of what we're doing as Bitcoiners, because what we need is the moral high ground. Um, and if we can convince people from a moral high ground, I think this will be, uh, you know, it, it'll get more people to adopt and so on. So we're going to talk about the moral case for Bitcoin, and I'm going to do it in these. So first we're going to talk about Individual rights. Uh, there are two theories of individual rights that we'll cover. Um, this is individual rights from a natural law perspective and positivism. Uh, second thing we're going to talk about is government's role. Uh, it's going to be about individual liberty versus an elitist vision. And we'll talk about what that a little bit. Then we'll get to fiat versus Bitcoin and how those, uh, both of those relate to the previous two. Uh, you know what? What? What is its stance on individual rights and its uh, and the role of government? And finally, uh, it, no talk on uh, a moral case for Bitcoin would be complete without talking something about virtue, uh, or what what it is, what it means to have better character, and so on. And we'll we'll talk about the incentives around those in that last section. And uh, I titled it "Bitcoin Fixes This" because. Fiat has corrupted character in ways that we do not fully appreciate. All right, so let's, let's get started. Natural law versus positivism. And what, what we're going to talk about here is the theory of rights. Um, and there are, there are two main theories. The first is the theory of natural law. This is the idea that rights are something we already have and that you know, if they're violated by anyone, including government, that it is a violation of moral law. So the, the, this is a passage from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this is from the Declaration of Independence. The reason why uh, you know, the colonists felt like they couldn't declare independence was because they felt like their natural rights were being violated by England, right? That, that the English king was violating their natural rights and therefore it was not a legitimate government. That was their argument, okay? That's the basis of natural law. We already have these rights and if you violate them, then you are an illegit illegitimate government. Now the other view is something called positivism and this is the idea that the government gives you rights, that the government gives you things that you can and cannot do, and that rights are not legitimate 
unless the government explicitly gives them to you. So this is a good example. If you, you, you can give someone a haircut at home, but if you want to get paid for it, you have to get a light permission. Somebody has to say from government, from the authority, and they are the arbiter of morality. That is the positivist uh, you know, view of morality or uh, of rights. So why would people like natural law? Well, I mean, first of all, it's common sense, right? And uh, that, that was one of the tracks from the uh, you know, spirit of 76 was Thomas Paine's common sense. It's, it's just very intuitive. Uh, natural law is intuitive. Okay, it's wrong to kill people, all right, with no reason, things like that. Um, it's also fairly just and universal. It's, it's very easy to say, okay, um, this person violated this person's rights. Uh, and it's, it's fair to people. And finally, it is individual-centric because you are protecting each individual's natural rights. They have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and other things. And, and uh, it's attractive for those reasons. Now, why would anyone like positivism? Well, it's one power. First, uh, it's much easier to enforce. Right? Uh, positivism says, if you, if you are not given that right, then you are in violation, right? If, if, you are not, if you don't have a license to cut someone's hair, then you are in violation if you are collecting payment for that. Uh, and therefore, it makes enforcement much, much easier. With natural law, you, you get new technologies and stuff like that. Do you have the right to privacy on a device that's on the cloud and things like that? It's very hard to figure out. And it, it requires a lot of thought and a lot of jurisprudence in order to figure out. With positivism, it's very easy for the authorities to enforce because you, it, it, it either is or it isn't in violation of the rights that they've given you. And that means that um, you know, they, they have the right, more or less, to change the scales of justice. They can, they can say, okay, well, we're going to tra treat these people differently than these people. And, uh, and this is very convenient for those in power. And it's very beneficial to be uh, bureaucrats because they get to set the rules. They get to say, okay, do and you have no recourse uh, because we get to set the rules. There's no higher authority that you can appeal to and say this is unfair. So that's natural law versus positivism. And at this point, I want you to recognize that natural law is moral, positivism is highly immoral. And in, and in fact, uh, if you look throughout history, all of the worst governments with the worst atrocities, every single one of them was positivist. The state gives you the right to do something. The state gives you the right to do X, Y, or Z. And they take stuff like your right to life, your right to liberty, your right to pursue happiness. Uh, and that, that's one of the things that they end up doing with, uh, with the power that they have. Um, so if, if you're a believer in positivism, you can sort of stop the talk right now. I don't really have anything more to say to you. Uh, but if you're a believer in natural law, let's go on. Let's talk about the role of government. Because there are two possible roles of government, individual liberty versus an elitist vision. And uh, the, according to the Declaration of Independence, it's all about individual liberty, right? To, uh, the government's job is to make sure that you protect the rights of individuals. Um, 
the elite, uh, we'll, we'll talk about elitist vision, but th this is more or less the difference. It's leave us alone versus take care of us all, right? Some, some vision that you might have. And, and you know, I, I rea realize that this slide makes it look like conservatives are good and liberals are bad. Not the case at all. You'll see in the next slide, conservatives are not spared at all. All right, so here are some possible vision, elitist visions that, uh, that uh, governments can have. Um, workers, uh, you know, paradise, something like that, right? This is the Marxist vision. Or a racially pure uh, community, right? That's the Nazi vision or whatever. Uh, these are elitist visions, that, and this is, this is a way in which uh, those in power try to enforce their vision on, onto the populace. Another one, safety, right? This is, this is how we get ridiculous things like the TSA. It's, uh, it, it's a vision of, okay, we need to make sure that things are safe, so these are the things that we're going to do about it. Um, this, by the way, tends to come from the conservative side. Social justice, we're going to have equal outcomes for everyone for any particular thing. Um, and of course, uh, probably the worst violation uh, oftentimes is keeping things the way they are, right? The vision of status quo forever. This is where you get too big to fail because they're, uh, they're scared of changing anything that might disrupt anything, right? Including allowing banks to fail, um, you know, even, even today, right, there, there's a ton of people, a ton of businesses that are taking PPP loans. It's, we want to keep the status quo. We don't want things to change. That is the elitist vision behind that. And the, all of them are bad because they are taking away individual liberty. And it's not about conservative versus liberal. I mean, like, keeping the status quo is very literally conservative. It's conserving whatever happens to exist right now. All of those are violations of our individual liberty, and they, they are therefore immoral. Now, what are the consequences of uh, you know, uh, enhancing individual liberty? If government does its job of protecting individuals, their natural law rights. Well, first of all, there's a lot more entrepreneurship because you don't need permission anymore, right? Like, you can go do whatever. And it, it's something that you have a right to do without getting permission from somebody else that might violate uh, you know, somebody else's uh, elitist vision. And that leads to virtue. The, this is a painting of the four cardinal virtues. This is prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. I'll have more to say about that later. And all of that means that people get to build what they want. And this is how civilization builds, is that when people build what they want, you end up making lots of stuff and uh, you, you end up creating civilization. Now, the consequences of an elitist vision is that they are trying to take society to a particular place. And, uh, and that means that there's some permission required. There, there always needs to be some sort of bureaucratic stamp of approval on whatever it is that you want to do. And if you violate that, well, they're not gonna let you. They're gonna fine you, they're gonna imprison you, take away your individual sovereignty. And that means that there's less virtue ultimately for individuals because you're not incentivized to do all of these. It's hard to be an entrepreneur, right? And uh, you, you need prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. You need all of those things to be a successful one. But if you take, if you have another standard besides the market, then you're going to have different incentives. And that's essentially what happens when you have an elitist vision that everyone has to subscribe to. And ultimately, that means that we become slaves to the state. 
right? With, uh, with, with the, uh, when the government has the duty of uh, protecting individual liberty, um, then the state becomes servant to the people. But when there's an elitist vision that they are trying to promote or to go towards, then we become the slaves of the state. Right? That's the big difference here. If you're protecting individual liberty, the state is your servant. If it's an elitist vision, then you are its servant. And those are the two competing uh, visions of government. And you can see right now that we've gone pretty much from the spirit of 76, which was all about protecting individual liberty, to the point where we're in an elitist vision kind of place. Right? right now, the elitist vision of most governors is to protect the spread of COVID or to um, you know, stop the pandemic. And they are trampling all over our individual liberties in order to do so. So what does this have to do with Bitcoin? Well, this, this is where fiat money and Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin sort of collide because in a sense, a lot of it is about power, right? And, uh, and with fiat money, you have a centralized place, right? The, this, is the, this is the Fed. They get to control everything. And if you think about it, it's very much a positivist money. They, they tell you whether or not you can have money. They, they tell you whether, uh, you know, can, can I have some money, sir, right? Like, it, we have to ask permission to keep it. Bitcoin, the power is decentralized. It, it's, it's much more about individual liberty. Property, um, the state can take it away at any time. This is a positivist vision of money. It's not about individual liberty at all. It's they can take it whenever they want. What Bitcoin allows is for you to have even stronger property rights than anything that we've seen in existence because it is not physical. That means that they can't seize your gold, even if they, because uh, there's nothing physical to seize. It can be in your brain. And that means that it's much more akin to a belief. And that's a picture of a martyr being stoned. In that way, um, you, know, you, you, can, you, can you can kill the martyr, but you're not going to change that person's beliefs. And Bitcoin is very much in that same realm. You don't have to give it up if you don't want to. That's individual liberty. That's protecting our individual rights. There's also production. Um, the, the, in, with fiat money, they can take the fruits of your labor away from you. And this often happens through inflation. And what's even worse about inflation is that it does not require the consent of the governed. And that, of course, is also from the Declaration of Independence. You need the consent of the governed. At least explicit taxation requires consent of the governed. You have to pass a law. With inflation, you don't have to do any of that. You just print more money. And you're seizing value from everyone else. With Bitcoin, all of that value goes to the individual. And you can have capital accumulation. They get to keep the fruits of their labor. And it is way more just. The posture of fiat money is that of violence. It's a zero-sum game. You have to force people. Right? This is the elitist vision again. We are its slave. It is a slave money. Right? With Bitcoin, it is a it has a posture of voluntary trade. You do things because people agree. And that is much more moral because it, it doesn't, it, it, it's consensual. It's not forced. 
So to sum it up here, fiat money is a positivist money. It's an elitist vision money. Bitcoin is, um, is aligned with the moral law. It, it, it enhances individual liberty. That's why it's moral. And uh, I, I said before that I would have more to say about virtue, and here it is. We're going to talk about those four virtues, the classical virtues that go all the way back to Aristotle. These are the four cardinal virtues. And uh, no talk about morality would, would be complete without talking about virtue in some way. Um, so there's prudence. Prudence is the idea, uh, well, we in Bitcoin call it low time preference, but that's, that's essentially what it is. It's the idea that you are planning for the future, that you are not just throwing away today. Right now with fiat money, you have enormous amounts of debt. A lot of people have high time preference. And that means that they become slaves to their debt. Bitcoin doesn't allow for this, right? Uh, in order to take on debt, it costs a lot more. The, the, and you end up having a much lower time preference, meaning that you end up with more prudence. Temperance. So in a fiat system, consumption is encouraged like crazy because you need the circular flow of money. Uh, and what you end up getting is people that are not very good at controlling themselves and uh, you know, doing things to excess. Right? Um, this is everything from materialism to you know, eating too many donuts uh, to binge watching things and, and things like that. Temperance is this idea that you do things the right amount. And that is not encouraged at all by fiat money. With Bitcoin, this comes back because this is something that gets rewarded by the market instead of the current system that we have. There's justice. Um, there's a lot of rent seeking that happens in a fiat economy. Right? Uh, and this is a good picture of it. Lo lobbying will get you so many rent seeking opportunities and put barriers to competition and so on. With Bitcoin, what you get is the elimination of a lot of these rent-seeking opportunities. And that means that uh, you know, things are more just because all rent-seeking is in, in some way theft. It's unjust. It's taking value that doesn't belong to you. The final one is fortitude. And fortitude, uh, I mean, you can use words like courage or guts or something like that. That's, that's what that means. And the sad reality of, uh, of a fiat, social, uh, elitist vision kind of uh, society is that it gets highly politicized because the government is in control of everything. There are competing visions, usually. And that's what most of fighting about politics is all about. It's fighting for different visions of the future. And what fortitude does, uh, and that, that means that you don't have a chance to really exercise fortitude per se. It's not that brave to stand with lots of other people that believe the same things as you, or to be in, a, in an echo chamber or something like that. And what you get are riots and things. This is destruction, right? This is not courage. This is not fortitude. This is just doing what everyone else is doing. This, requir this requires all the courage of a bully. Instead, with Bitcoin, you get real fortitude. That's being an entrepreneur. 
that is taking risk and, uh, and trying something that might or might not work with the risk of failure. That's real virtue. And that's what we get with Bitcoin. So ultimately, uh, my argument for the moral case for Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is that which aligns with natural law. It's what gives us protection for our individual rights. Because right now, we are headed towards a, tyr uh, a tyrannical state. Uh, and, and we can see it happening all around us. Every, every state in the world is becoming more and more tyrannical, more and more about the vision that they have instead of protecting individual liberty, um, especially in the last six months. The moral case for Bitcoin is that fiat is a positivist money. It's a tool of the state. And to be able to opt out of that is a moral imperative. Fiat Delendas, thank you. All right, we have some time for some questions. There's a mic in the back if you want to ask some questions. And please go ahead and ask. Okay, yeah. Okay. I might have finished my talk a little early because I, I misread the clock, but that's okay. Yeah, uh, all right, there's somebody coming up. Hey, Derek. Hey, <laughs> okay, I think a lot of people understand rent-seeking behavior, but some people don't. Would you mm -hmm. define that, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, so rent-seeking, uh, as I define it, is um, being in the middle of a transaction uh, and taking sort of a cut of the transaction without providing anything. Uh, so this is uh, think like government bureaucrat that has to rubber stamp stuff. They're not adding any actual value, but you have to pay them some tax in order to do that, right? Um, and uh, you know they, they claim to be licensors or regulators or something like that, but oftentimes they're just rent-seeking. They're, they're taxing the transaction without providing any value. Um, and this is uh, essentially theft of value from the parties that actually are trading. Uh, and it's, it's getting in the middle of it. it. They essentially become kind of like a trusted third party in Bitcoin parlance. Thank you, Jimmy. Very inspiring. Can you look into your crystal ball? I know you have one. Uh, and uh, you know, see where we've gone the last, whatever it is, five months, and uh, where are we headed? And uh, is there any examples from any countries, maybe in South America, that have already taken this path? Uh, headed in what manner? Like uh, with towards, respect to Bitcoin uh, towards, or something? With re respect to tyranny and uh, mm -hmm. money. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the, the clear trend in the last five months is towards positivism, uh, or that view of the world, which is that uh, the government gives you the right to do something, right? Um, the freedom of assembly is encoded into the Constitution. Uh, the fact that a lot of governors are saying, no, you can't assemble anymore, that's a violation of our natural rights. That's, that's, that, the, that's a natural right that they are violating by saying that we can't. Instead, it's their view that they, ha they can give you this right, that, they, that you, can, you don't have this right unless they first allow you to have it. That's a positivist view. And the thing about positivist views is that they are the most tyrannical in history. Every single um, you know, government that's done enormous evil, if you, if you look at them, they had a positivist view. You know, Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, 
you know, uh, Mao's China, you know, Pol Pot, all, all of it's, we give you the right to life. We give you the right to liberty. We give you the right to uh, property and happiness. That, that was their view, and therefore they, they felt justified in taking people's lives, taking people's liberty, taking people's property. Uh, that, that, that's, uh, that's how they thought of it. The sad thing is uh, technology has only enhanced the state's power to sort of enforce their elitist vision. Um, and their competing vision, surely, but uh, the trend towards positivism is, uh, has been kind of continuous. Uh, and especially, uh, you know, strong over the last five months, five, six months. It's uh, governors are saying, uh, thinking that they have rights that they don't, that they have powers that they don't. Uh, and if you believe in natural law, as I do, that we have these rights already, then this, uh, that is a profoundly immoral thing to do. Uh, hey, yeah, thanks for your talk. It was really good. Uh, this might just be more of a terminology question about positivism, but mm -hmm. I'm familiar with that term from like philosophy of science, like mm -hmm. the logical positivists. Mm -hmm. Is that a connection? Like yeah, so it, it comes from like empiricism and stuff, uh, and that, that's usually how it's justified uh, with respect to science and so on. Um, so it's not a coincidence, for example, that socialism claims to be a scientific uh, you know, economic science or something like that. Um, but uh, it, it, when you think about rights, it, it cannot be empirically proven. That's, that's the idea. Um, uh, it, it has to, it, you have to believe in something else in order to believe that you have natural rights. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of unworkable to not believe in natural rights uh, because then this, uh, if, if you're a positivist, then the state can take your life anytime they want for any reason, because it, as long as they pass a law to do so, or that they have the will to do so. They can jail you for whatever reason. Like, it, like the Declaration of Independence does not make sense if you have a positivist view. It's completely against the spirit of 76, because it would say, well, okay, well, the government has the right to uh, jail me or kill me because they're the government and they're the ultimate moral authority. If you believe that there's another, uh, it, that there's a higher moral authority than that, that you do have rights that exist outside of the auspices of government, then then natural natural law is pretty much what you have to believe. Uh, you know wh whether or not you believe in God or not. I, obviously the. Um, signers of the Declaration of Independence did, but you don't have to. But that, that's, that's the idea, is that you cannot come up with uh, a moral system uh, that, is, uh, that is purely based on empiricism without, um, uh, that, that's, uh, that's not positivist. And it, it's profoundly morally unjustified. <laughs> and I think it's pretty clear why. Hey, Jimmy. So. Um, this talk really hit uh, really hit a chord with me. Um, I'm originally from Venezuela, mm. and I saw single-handedly and witnessed what a socialist government does to a country. Mm. Venezuela went from being literally one of the wealthiest countries in South America to being a failed state in less than 20 years because of socialist principles. Mm. My question to you is, now in, in, in the recent political environment, why do you think that there's such a large portion of the population in the United States that are attracted 
to this failed ideology? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, why why do people why are people attracted uh, essentially by this elitist vision, right? Like of socialism in particular, but almost any elitist vision. Um, usually, it, it's uh, it's. Uh, in the interest of those in power to promote whatever elitist vision that they have. And this is, this is the false dichotomy of politics right now. It's uh, one, uh, one side says we need to keep things exactly the way they are. This is the status quo, kind of like conserve everything. Everything uh, needs to be stay exactly the same. And then the other side is much more about, okay, here's uh, you know, a world that we can imagine that we think would be much better than now, and this is what we all have to work towards. Neither of those are right. Uh, they both violate our individual liberty. And, uh, and the fact of the matter is when, uh, when you get a lot of marketing dollars essentially towards one vision or the other, you can, you can do a lot of things. We're, we're, we're taught in school a lot of this stuff and it's, it's been sort of um, you know, socially approved and so on. It, it, it's, uh, it, it's part of conventional wisdom. It's, uh, we, we've been indoctrinated to believe those things because it's in the interest of those in power. Hopefully that answers your question. Um, yeah, w one quick question. Uh, there are a couple different ways you can sort of arrive at the concept of inalienable rights. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm curious, and this, this might be like too personal for the forum, but what's kind of your personal formulation? Is it more of um, sort of like it being an incredibly powerful social construct? Or is it more just like a naturally or like divinely endowed sort of set? Of well, I, I, I can say this pretty freely. I'm a Christian. So I believe in God. And I believe that he endowed us with natural rights. Now, you don't have to believe that in order to believe in natural rights. In fact, Hans Hermann Hoppe has, wrote, Hoppe has written, I think, a very eloquent uh, uh, reasoning for why natural rights exist. Uh, it's from a completely non-divine perspective. It's, okay, we, uh, we argue, therefore, that you, you, you sort of assume that I have the right to my body, and therefore, all these other things. And it's very logically thought out and, and, and provided. Uh, but for me personally, it's because I believe in a creator. Cool. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> yeah, just a quick question. Um, we have like natural rights as, as human beings. Mm -hmm. If those are endowed from some sort of inherent, you know, faculty or mm -hmm. quality of us, where what natural rights exist for non-humans? Non-humans. Where does it, where, I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to me to just stop natural rights at human beings, like mm -hmm. we're some sort of special snowflake in the universe, <laughs> you know, like animals or trees or anything mm -hmm. else. Does everything have a natural right? Or why would we say that, that they don't if, if not? You know, I, I got to be honest, I, I really haven't thought about that question until just now. Um, but my, my instinct is that yes, they do, because I, I don't think it's right to like torture a dog, for example. Uh, so they, they probably have some natural right to life or something like that. Um, and it might be different depending on the level of the animal or something, but I, uh, uh, I, I am sure that lots of other thinkers have written down what they think, and I would probably read those before I form an opinion. And then the follow-up is, isn't, I mean, if we look in nature, mm -hmm. like, you know, outside of society, it seems like life depends on the violation of the natural rights of others. 
in some ways. You know, whether you're you're fine, you're you're you know chasing down a prey mm -hmm. to eat to survive, you're violating the natural rights of that entity or that individual. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, where where? And I'm not saying it's moral to mm -hmm. kill somebody, obviously, but like, where do we? Where do we formulate that justification? Why, why it's okay for me to mm -hmm. kill a cow, but not okay for me to kill a human being? Yeah, so that, that, that's where your previous question definitely uh, applies. So I haven't thought that deeply about that particular thing. So again, I, I, I'll defer, I'll, I'll punt the question for now, but that's something that I promise to think about and we'll come back to you maybe next year and talk about. So I think we're out of time, but thank you for your questions would be happy to talk about any of that. I am working on a book similar to this if you want to talk about it. Yeah, that's there too. BitBlockBoom! Thank you for listening to the BitBlockBoom podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Make sure and take a look at this year's lineup of speakers at BitBlockBoom.com. And if you use the code COUSINS, that's C-O-U-S-I-N-S. When purchasing your conference tickets, you'll receive 30% off the price of a general admission ticket. I hope to meet you at next year's BitBlock Boom Conference in Dallas, Texas. And thanks for listening. BitBlock Boom!